Bible reading tonight comes from Colossians chapter 1 and we'll be reading from verses 1 to 14 and that can be found on page 1233 of the Pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints the faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, knowing, sorry, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Thanks, Maddie, for that. Now, if we could um, uh, keep our Bibles open, we're going to work through all those 14 verses. And there's also an outline on the way in. So if you haven't got one yet... Feel free to go grab one. And why don't we just take about 20 seconds, move around, greet each other, welcome each other, and, and we'll come back soon. So we're going to start a new series today. We'll be working our way through, as a church, through the book of Colossians. Uh, it's quite a dense and heavy book, but you know, I thought when I decided this, this book, you guys are bright and smart. But more than that, we want to sit under the Word of God and hear God speak to us. So let us turn to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who did not remain silent, but have spoken to us clearly. We thank you, Lord, for this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Colossians. We pray, Lord, that as we think about this letter, uh, read it, study it, that you might help us see how this applies to us and how we are to live in light of it. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin today. uh, just just get an idea how long people here have been Christians, okay? So if we all keep our hands up, now this is, if you are a Christian, if you're not, that's okay, love for you to be here. But if you've been a Christian for six months, longer than six months, keep your hand up, longer than six months, a year, two years, three years, five years, still up, ten years, 10 years, we still have some. 15 years, we still have some there. 20 years, 20 years, some are down, 25. Okay, feel free to keep it up if you want to show your age. 30, 30, so some still over 30. Just to point out, Rose's hand is still up, so she's over 30 years old. <laughs> uh, 35, still up, 40. 45, 50, okay, 60, 
Okay, the horns one just came out. No, okay, well, well, that's good. I mean, it shows that a lot of us have been, many of us have been Christians for many, many years. And so my question today to you is this. Is there more to Christianity? Is there more to Christianity than what you have experienced in the years you've been a believer? Is there more to it? Is there more than, than all that you have experienced in all those years? Do you actually hunger for more as a Christian? I hunger for more. I want more experiences of God. I want to feel God's presence. I want to be living a life that is spirit-filled. Do you feel that? Do you feel that your Christian life, your spiritual walk, is a bit flat at times, a bit boring, uh, lacking in vitality, just lacking in stuff? Do you feel that about your Christian life? Okay, I, I don't need you to nod. But do you want it? Do you want a life that is spirit-filled, where God is in your presence all the time. When you take a shower, God is there. When, uh, when you're walking the dog, God is there. You want to feel a life, that is, uh, a life that is filled with all spiritual powers and the hand of God working in your life. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? Well, let me tell you this. If that is what you want, it means that you're lacking something, and I can help you. I can help you. You see, the other day... On Friday, I went to Kurong, had a look at the type of books that they sell. Kurong, we love that bookstore. Uh, but Kurong, you go in, and there are different sections for different types of books. So you go to the Bible section, and you get the Bibles. You've got the pink one, the black ones, and all other colors. You go to your theology section. You go to your commentary section. So they're all marked out. You've got the devotion section. And you know what? There's a section called the Spirit-Filled Living section. Spirit-filled living section. Spirit-filled living page in the catalog. And this is one of the books I came across. Hosting the presence. How about this? Is this what you want in your life? Hosting the presence. Unveiling heaven's agenda. Now, the back of the book. Now, this book, $16.99, a bargain. The back of this book, it says this. In this Oh, it's got it here. In this powered pack book, Bill Johnson explains how you can be so filled with God's presence that his spirit overflows into the world around you. Discover how to pay attention to the Holy Spirit and respond to him and learn about encounters with God's presence in the Bible in more recent times. What about that book? Is that what you need? You know, you're lacking something. That's a book you need, isn't it? Sixteen ninety nine. What about this book? This one's fifteen ninety nine. The Wind and the Rudder. Now, I'm not sure if you can read that subtitle there, but the subtitle says, How to Live in the Power of the Spirit Without Becoming Weed. I'm not sure if that's for real, but How to Live in the Power of the Spirit Without Becoming Weed. Well, how about this book? Heaven is Now, Awakening Your Five Spiritual Senses to the wonders of grace. That's what you need now. You're lacking something. Some of you have been Christians for decades, twice my lifetime. You lack something. This is what you need, isn't it? What about this one? The power of prophetic, not prophetic, but prophetic <laughs> blessing. And on the back, he says this. It's a wonderful secret the Jewish people have known for centuries, a gift Christians have neglected for far too long. 
Discover how releasing this gift can impact your family, your career, and every aspect of your life, producing supernatural results beyond your dreams. That's what you need, isn't it? You have been Christians, many of you, for decades. That is what you need. You lack something. You lack this spiritual fullness. You lack this spiritual life that you were after. This overflowing of the presence of God. This is what you need, isn't it? This is what you need. And so is there more to the Christian life than what you have experienced so far? Is there more to it? Should we expect more to it? Well, you see, these were the things that this church in Colossae, that was what they were being influenced by. They were being told, this is a young church, a a group of Christians. They were Christians for about five years. And they were being told, you you guys are not spiritual enough. You need to go and live a spirit-filled life. You need to seek true spirituality. Jesus was good, but he's not enough. What you've heard from Paul was good, but not enough. You need more spirituality. And so this church, Colossi, Colossi is a a city in modern-day Turkey. So here's a map. So Colossi is there. Uh, no longer exists, but that was where it was. Now, these guys, the, the group of Christians there, they became a Christian by this minister by the name of Epaphras. We read of him later. So Epaphras was the one who went to the city, proclaimed the gospel, and these guys believed. But Epaphras himself became a believer because of Paul. The apostle Paul was the one who shared the gospel with him. Now, Epaphras, he's a minister. He's one of the the evangelist at this city, in this city, and he's hearing these things. He's hearing that this church is being influenced by these people who who claim, who say, you guys don't have it enough. Jesus is not enough. You need more in your life. You need to feel the presence of God. You need more spirituality. And so Epaphras hears this, and, and what does he do? Well, he goes to his mentor. He travels all the way to Rome. Now, at this stage, Paul was in prison in Rome, and, and, and Epaphras goes to Paul and he says, I don't know what to do with these guys. What do I do? They're being taught these, the, this new teaching. I've told them the gospel, but, but these guys are saying that's not enough. What do I do, Paul? And so what did Paul do? Well, Paul wrote a letter. And what you have in front of you was the letter that Paul wrote. Was the letter that Paul wrote to this church. And so we're going to have a look at this letter and look through it and read through it. What was it that Paul said then about this situation? And so let's look at this letter. Now this letter, Paul writes in ancient letter writing where you put your name first. And so he begins verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So Paul's just making clear he is an apostle. An apostle sounds like a technical word. It just means that he is one who was sent. So he was sent by Jesus and it's by the will of God. And he writes to these people in Colossae. And he writes to them affectionately. Notice what he calls them. Verse 2. He calls them to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ, in Colossae. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. So his greetings. Now what does he spend his time writing about? Well, today we're going to be focusing on just the first 14 verses. And Paul, in these first 14 verses, begins to address the problem that they were hearing, this troublesome teaching that they were hearing. 
And so Paul, in these first 14 verses, he makes three big points. He, he says to the church there, you guys, you're genuine Christians. You're the real deal. Don't get so, uh, uh, so deceived by these people. Don't, don't worry about them. The second point he says to them, the gospel which you heard, which Epaphras shared with you, is the whole gospel. That's the whole truth. Nothing more, nothing less. So he's trying to reassure these guys that what they heard is it. And then thirdly, he talks then about true spirituality. What it means to live the spirit-filled life. What it means to live the spiritual life. It's not what those guys are telling you. It is what you've already heard about when you first believed. And so let's look at this now. So, so we're going to work through these three points. So the first one, Paul begins his letter now with, with this warmth and affection towards this church. Now he's hearing this report from Epaphras about this church, and Paul's actually overjoyed. He's over the moon when he hears about this church. Despite the issue, he's actually overjoyed. Look at verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. You see, when Paul hears about these these guys who have become Christians and are, and are continuing as Christians, that brings him great joy. And that must be the case, isn't it, when we hear of anyone becoming a Christian, of anyone continuing as a Christian. That must bring us great joy because these are not just believers. They're, in fact, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I'm sure it brings you great joy to know that I'm a Christian because we'll spend eternity together. You must be happy with that, right? And I am happy that you are Christians as well because we will spend eternity together. And so Paul, upon hearing this, was overjoyed. But what was it that convinced him that these guys are genuine Christians? What was it that convinced him that these guys are for real? Well, you see, there are three marks of a Christian. Faith, love, and hope. And so verse, verse 4, Paul heard of their faith in Christ Jesus. You see, true believers are the ones who believe. But not just believe, believe in Jesus. He must be the object of faith. You see, it's no use just believing. I believe, and that's good enough. It must be in Jesus, the person Jesus. Now, have you heard of people uh, talking in, in these terms? I don't know if I'm a... a, a a Christian, because I don't feel like I have enough faith. Have you heard of people speaking in those terms? I don't have enough faith. I'm not sure if I'm a Christian. You see, what's, what's the problem with thinking that way? Because when you think that way, it shows that your faith is not actually in Christ. Your faith is actually in faith, how big or how small it is. And so that's a misplaced faith. Faith must be in Jesus. And so Paul heard that these guys, their faith was in Jesus. But then what is faith? We hear about this word. We read about it. What is faith? What is it? What does it mean to believe in? Well, a helpful way to remember this, uh, John Patton, who, who was a Prezi minister out in, uh, back in the 1800s, and he was a missionary. He went to the South Pacific to proclaim the gospel to these South Pacific islanders. Now, part of his work was to translate the Bible. And so he worked hard translating the Bible into the native language. But when he came across the word to believe, to have faith in, 
there wasn't an equivalent word in the native language. And so what do you do with that? How do you translate all the bits of the Bible that talks about believing and having faith? We see what he did was he described faith this way. So this is John Patton. He translated this way. To believe is to lean your whole weight upon someone or something. And so that's what faith is. That is what believing is, is to depend on someone or something. And so Paul here heard from Epaphras that these people in Colossae rested their faith, they lent their whole weight upon Jesus. And so that's the first mark of a Christian, a genuine Christian. The second mark, well, he's been hearing from Epaphras, verse 4 now, of the love that they had for all the saints. That's another mark of a genuine Christian. They have faith in Christ, but that they also love the saints. Now, you might say, don't all people love anyway? What's, what's the difference about the Christian love? Well, that might be true to an extent. You see, if I was not a Christian, I would still love my family. Right? I still love my friends. I would still love those around me who are lovable. But I wouldn't care less for strangers or weird people or strange people. But that's what we have at church. A bunch of weird and strange people from all different backgrounds. Think about it. Would we have been friends? Would we have cared for each other? Would we have prayed for each other? Would we love each other if it was not for the sake of Christ? Just think about the difference, the diversity in nationalities here. We've got all sorts of differences in languages. We've got people who speak English, Mandarin, Indonesian, Egyptian, Arabic. Uh, there's no Egyptian language, it's Arabic. Dutch, what else? Singalese, German, and computer language. Some people know that. So we've got a diverse range of people here. Think about that. It's strange and it's weird that we will meet in the one place. But that's because of Christian love, love for the saints. And so Paul saw this, Paul heard of this from Epaphras, that these people love the saints. But you see, back then, loving the saints was sort of overcoming a bigger barrier than what we have to. You see, Australia is a multicultural society, and it would be wrong to not try to love people of different nationalities. But you see, back then, to love someone of a different race, to love a Greek or a barbarian, that was weird. That was strange. But even worse than that, to love a slave. Slaves, you don't love slaves. You don't love servants. But Paul heard of their love for all the saints. So that's the second mark. And the third mark There's one more. Now, this mark is the mark, it's the one that undergirds both faith and love. And this is hope. This is hope of heaven, hope of eternal life. Look at verse 5. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Now, what's this thing about hope? Why is it so important? Why is the Christian hope so important? You see, the Christian hope is a hope of heaven, of what is to come after our life here on earth ends. Now, I've got an illustration that I stole from another minister. It's a good one, so I'll use it. Let's just say this string. I'll get it out. This string, it's a very long string. Anyway, it's a long one. But just say this represented eternity, and it keeps on going. 
Okay, it doesn't end. There's no end to that string. Just say that represents eternity. And our life on earth, our 70 years, 80 years, 90 years, maybe even 100 years, it's only represented by that much, this white bit there. A Christian, a genuine Christian who has hope, is hopeful of all these things that will come after life. All of that. A genuine Christian doesn't place all his hope in this little bit here. You see, a genuine Christian wouldn't think about, if I don't marry that person, that's it, my life is over. No hope. If I don't get that result, that's it, my life is over. If I don't win at that auction, that's it, my life is over. You see, a genuine Christian doesn't place his hope in this life, but places in all of this that comes after this life. And so that's the third mark of a Christian. But you see, the... the the length, the eternity that we have to look forward to, people often think, what are you going to do for all eternity? Isn't it going to be bored? That's what people say, don't they? But you see, the Bible speaks of heaven being a place where we'll be overfilled with joy, more joyful than anything we've experienced here on earth, really. And, and I find that hard to believe, really, because in my short life, I've experienced immense joy. The birth of our three kids brought me immense joy. Even our wedding day, that was happy, but no, it was great. But, but to think that heaven's going to be greater than all of that, heaven's going to be greater than all of that, that's just hard to believe. That is true. And so the three marks of a Christian, Paul hears from Epaphras and recognizes they are people who have faith in Christ, they love the saints, and they hope in heaven. And so Paul is saying to them, You guys, don't worry about what you're hearing. You're genuine Christians. You're authentic Christians. And so Paul reassures them. They're the real deal. But now he also reassures them that the message, the gospel that they heard, was also genuine. You see, they're being told, you haven't heard enough. There's actually more to this, more to this gospel, more to this Jesus. You haven't heard enough. But Paul is now saying to them, no, you've heard it all. The whole gospel. Nothing but the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less. And so we see this in verses 5 and 6. Paul says, You have already heard about, in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You see, Paul is saying, this is the true gospel. It's bearing fruit. It's, it's increasing. And now Paul puts it quite plainly. He says, you see, the guy who came to you, Epaphras, he told you the whole gospel. And so verse 7, you learnt it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. So we see what Paul's doing here. He's trying to reassure them, don't worry about these teachings. Don't worry about these guys who tell you you need more than Jesus who tell you you need these mystical experiences, who tell you you need to feel all these feelings of God's presence. Don't worry about those things. You are a true Christian, and what you heard is the true gospel. But now in this final section, Paul prays for them, and we get to listen in on Paul's prayer for these people. And we hear of Paul's concern for these people. Paul wanted them to live out what true spirituality looks like. You see, they were being told that you don't have 
uh, a spirit-filled life to the full. But Paul says, forget them. This is what it looks like. Okay? And it's about, Paul says, it's about knowing. Knowing God and his will. It's about living a life that pleases God. It's about living a life that is full of joy. And so we'll look at these. Verse 9. First, it is about growing in the knowledge of God's will. So verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul's praying that they will be filled with the knowledge of God's will before spiritual wisdom and understanding. But what's this will of God Paul's praying for? Is Paul praying for the people in Colossae that they might understand and know who they should marry? Is that Paul's prayer? That they should know what career path they should take. That they should know where should they should buy a house. Is that God's will? You see, often we think of God's will in those terms. That what's God's will in my life? Is it to do this or that? Is it to marry this person or that? But you see, if we have a view of God's will in those terms, they're very small compared to what God's will really is about. You see, God's will is grand. It's much greater than those things. Because God's will is actually about his plans and purposes that is centered on his son Jesus, not on us. We tend to think that God's will is about me. It's actually about Jesus. It centers on Jesus, and we'll see this more and more clearly as we work our way through Colossians. You see, God's will is about what God will do in Jesus and through Jesus. And that is God will reconcile the world through him, save the world through him. And in God's mercy, God actually makes us a part of that. We're one of those who are reconciled through this will of God, this plan of God. Now, if we understand and come to grasp this vastness and how great and grand this will of God is, it will actually impact how we will live in our life today. So this bit, remember this bit? So if we understand God's will, that all this centers on Jesus, it will actually impact how we spend our life here. And that's what Paul talks about in verse 10. He talks about, well, this is what spiritual living looks like. So let's look at verse 10. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, they're the things that represent our spiritual life, a life that is spirit-filled. And God actually gives us the power to do it. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. God actually helps us with all these things. So true spirituality, living the spirit-filled life. Don't go seeking for experiences. It's about these things. It's about coming uh, to a deeper understanding and knowledge of God's will in this world, in this universe, for all eternity, centered on Christ. It is about us living a life that is worthy of God, that actually pleases God, that bears fruit for the kingdom. And then there's another one. So this third point, Paul makes here, that if you think about it, if God's grand plan is so cosmic, so grand, but he actually chooses us, people who are wretched sinners, to be a part of this grand plan of God, I mean, what's the appropriate way to respond? 
A spiritual person will be one who will be joyful, thanking God. And that is that is what we see in verse 12. And so Paul says to them, you are to joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. That is spiritual living, living a life of joy because we know where we'll end up in all eternity. Now, the, the, the strange thing with many people is that often we feel full of joy inside our tummy, inside our hearts, full of joy, inexpressible joy. But our face just doesn't know it, doesn't express it. We can't express this joy, people. Okay, just, just a little sight note there. We can't express this joy. So these people in Colossae, they were influenced. You need to be more spiritual. You need this spirit-filled life. You need more than Jesus. Paul says, forget them. You are doing it right. You are true Christians. You heard the true gospel. You want to live a spirit-filled life? Well, this is what it looks like. Not looking for supernatural, mystical experiences of God. This is what it looks like. Now, that was the issue for the church in Colossae. I wonder whether it's any different today for the churches today, for our church today. What do you think? Do you hunger for more? So people are teaching us when you watch Christian TV early in the morning. You need more. You need to feel more spiritual in your life. You need to feel God's power and presence all over you. You need more. Is that an issue we have today too? Well, I suspect it is. And often we are made to feel frustrated with how our Christian life is going. We're made to feel lacking. I mean, books like these, books like these, they make us feel that we're actually not fully Christians. We're not fully Christian. You know, I don't feel complete if I don't have what they have, that I, if I don't get those spiritual experiences, that I don't feel those mystical aura around me. I'm not fully a Christian. But is that right? Well, I suspect if we believe that, we're actually saying something quite serious. We're actually saying Jesus and his gospel is not enough. What we believe is not enough. What Jesus has done for us is not enough. And so that can't be the case. That can't be the case. Because if you think about it, I want you to think about what happens when anyone believes, when anyone becomes a Christian. I want you to think about the spiritual reality that happens. You see, when anyone believes, we, we read here, look at verse 13 and 14. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son. He loves in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. You see, that's what happened when anyone believes. You weren't living in the first place. You were dead in your sin. But God plucked us out, placed us in the kingdom of his son, escaping the flames of hell. We have life now, spiritual life, life to the full. And that's the only life there is. There's no two tiers of Christianity. Those who are just Christians, and those who actually feel these experiences of God and his presence. There's no two tiers of Christianity. You, we are all plucked from death to life in the kingdom of his son. And so you can't get any more spiritual than that, can you? There's only one way to live. And it's the life that God has granted us. 
But now we must ask, why is it then, if this is the case, if we can't get any more spiritual, if I'm not to seek spiritual experiences through whatever techniques or anything the books tells me, if that's not a possibility, why is it then that Christians often still do feel flat and unsatisfied and dissatisfied? Why is that the case? Well, I suspect that it's because we're not doing what Paul is teaching us here, what Paul was praying for. So think about that. What was Paul praying for? If I am doing and praying what Paul prayed for for the church in Colossae, that is spiritual living. So if I'm living a life where I strive, as I read the Bible, strive to learn about the, the will of God with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, praying that he'll give me wisdom to know what he's doing in all eternity through his son and how we are a part of that, that is spiritual living. If I strive with every cell of my body, with every heartbeat, to live a life that glorifies God, that is worthy of God, that pleases him, that, that my works are bearing fruits for the kingdom. Well, that is spiritual living. That is a spiritual life. If I'm striving for these things, living with joy in my heart, knowing that my eternity is set in stone, then that is spiritual living. You see, so if we feel flat, perhaps we might want to pray this prayer for ourselves. Make this our prayer. And that's what I'll end with now. And I'll encourage you to make this your own prayer. So I'll pray and I'll make it my own prayer. And in your hearts, make it your own prayer. This is what spiritual life is like. Living where we seek to know God's will, where we seek to please God, and where we live a life full of joy and thanksgiving. So I want you to pray along, make it your own prayer, and I'll make it my own prayer. Heavenly Father, each time we read your word, fill me with the knowledge of your will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that my life will be worthy of you, pleasing to you in every way, that my works will be bearing fruit in every good work, and that I'm growing in my knowledge of you, knowing the depth of your love and mercy for me. Give me strength with all your glorious power that I might endure through all the trials of life, that I might be patient with all people I come across. And thank you so much for giving me an inheritance in the kingdom of your Son. Thank you for rescuing me from the dominion of darkness and bringing me into the kingdom of your Son, in whom I have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the name of Christ, my Savior, my Lord, my King and Master. Amen.